familiar? If your baby is going through another bout of bad diaper rash, then you need to give Dr. Mom Butt Balm a try. It was created by a mom who's also a doctor. When my kids were little, I remember using this thick, goopy cream to help soothe their sensitive skin. Ugh, it was so difficult to wipe off. Not with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. You only need a small amount, and it's really easy to apply and remove. It's also free of dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, so it's gentle on your baby's delicate skin. Help your baby feel better and get relief from irritating diaper rash with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Look for it on Amazon and Walmart.com. When a mother needs to supplement her baby during baby's first year, what are her options? One alternative to milk sharing mother-to-mother is using a milk bank. What exactly do milk banks do? What are the benefits of receiving donor milk from milk banks? What are the concerns? How can you donate your breast milk to a bank, and what are the qualifications to do so? Today, we'll explore what to expect when donating and receiving from milk banks. This is The Boob Group. Breast milk, it does a baby good. Silly daddy, boobs are for babies. I make milk. What's your superpower? If my breastfeeding offends you, put a blanket over your head. Dairy diva. Don't be lactose intolerant. Nursing nature's own breast enhancement. Meals on heels. Whoever said there's no use crying over spilled milk never had to pump. Breast milk. All udders are inferior. Whatever your point of view, we're here to support your breastfeeding goals. We're the boob group because mothers know breast. Welcome to The Boob Group, broadcasting from the Birth Education Center of San Diego. The Boob Group is your weekly online, on-the-go support group for all things related to breastfeeding. I'm your host, Leilani Wild. I'm also an IBCLC and owner of Leilani's Lactation Doula Services. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoy listening to our shows week after week, please tell another breastfeeding mama about us. You can also help other mamas discover us through iTunes by leaving us some honest feedback about the show. Search the boob group in iTunes and click on our podcast to rate us and leave a comment. Now, Sunny's going to tell us more about our virtual panelist program. Hi, everybody. So if you're not here in our studio where we record, there are a bunch of different ways that you can get involved with our show. And I usually talk about the stuff that I post on Facebook and Twitter and how you can follow the hashtag BoobGroupVP for more information. I want to talk about a couple other ways, though, that you can get involved that you may not know about. If you head to our website, which is NewMommyMedia.com, we have a list of experts on the side of the page. You can ask any of those experts any questions you want. You submit it right through the website. We call it our Ask the Experts segment. And it's a great way. It can be a breastfeeding question. Um, but even if you have a pediatrician a question, you, you can see all of the different experts that are willing to answer your question. So that's a great way. And we do read those responses on the show so other people can benefit from it. Um, we have a segment called Boob Oops. So if you guys have some funny breastfeeding oops stories um, that are funny that you want to share with other people, you can submit for that. We have a new segment called Mama Hacks, which is a great way if you have discovered... Um, something that helps you in your breastfeeding or your pumping experience just makes life a little bit more easy, something you've discovered that you want to pass on to other mamas, uh, you can certainly submit those. And then we're also always looking to review and discuss different breastfeeding apps out there or apps in general that have helped you with your breastfeeding experience. So just real quickly, those are some great ways to participate in the show. You can go to our website for more information and go to the contact link on our website if you actually want to submit for some of these. You can also call us um, on our voicemail 
voicemail, 619-866-4775. And if you leave a message, we'll actually use your actual voice on the show to uh, read your question or your submission. So again, lots of fun ways to get involved with the Boob Group. (coughs) Sound familiar? (coughs) If your baby is going through another bout of bad diaper rash, then you need to give Dr. Mom Butt Balm a try. It was created by a mom who's also a doctor. When my kids were little, I remember using this thick, goopy cream to help soothe their sensitive skin. Ugh, it was so difficult to wipe off. Not with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. You only need a small amount, and it's really easy to apply and remove. It's also free of dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, so it's gentle on your baby's delicate skin. Help your baby feel better and get relief from irritating diaper rash with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Look for it on Amazon and Walmart.com. So before we get started with today's show, there was this crazy headline uh, that I saw on the internet that I had to bring up. I'm not sure why, but there seems to be a lot of stuff happening in the UK with regards to breastfeeding. This one is from the UK, a young mom by the name of Holly. She went to swim with her four-month-old son, Vincent, at a public pool. And according to Holly, she said she was asked to leave her local swimming pool uh, because she was breastfeeding her baby, and the lifeguard told her, it was unhygienic um, and it was making the male lifeguards feel very uncomfortable. Um, and so she was very distraught over this, um, ended up going and talking to management because she claimed that she had a right to be there. And uh, management was actually on Holly's side. It was one of those situations where they apologized immediately and profusely and gave her a one year, I think, pass free to the pool. <laughs> so I, I think they probably handled it pretty well, you know, given what could have happened with this, right? Um, but but I'm still shocked. The word unhygienic, I mean, it, it, it just amazes me that there are, are still people that, that view it that way. And I wanted to get your guys' take on that and what, what you thought about this, this article. So, Pauline, what do you think? Well, I think, you know, the story really is about the male employees feeling uncomfortable. It really isn't the mom or the baby or being unhygienic. Certainly in this country and globally, we want to make sure that breastfeeding is a cultural norm. And it's going to take, you know, a bit. We've had a long fight and we've been still working on that. And we're still improving um, piece by piece. And um, But the term that is unhygienic, to whom is it unhygienic? Um, you know, if you're talking about being poolside, um, you know, certainly we can look at all the bacteria counts on the pool side. But I think this is a really good example where one mother can be a change agent for many moms. And I applaud her for going to management, basically educating people. Is it breast milk like made of like 80% water <laughs> anyways? <laughs> I don't know the properties exactly, but I'm thinking, how could it be unhygienic? Like, it's made of mainly water. Like, I don't well, get it. I mean, I mean, it's not even if she was breastfeeding in the pool. And if she was, how many kids are peeing in that pool? I know. What else is in the, the water by that point? <laughs> and right? they consider that sterile. So, uh, you know. 
That's crazy. It, it is. It's yeah. anything for, you know what, though? The advantage of having those kinds of articles out there is it gives us an opportunity, once again, to talk about breastfeeding yeah. in public. Yeah, it does. Yep. It's good. Today on The Boob Group, we're continuing our discussion on milk sharing. In a recent episode, we talked about milk sharing from mother to mother. Now we're going to talk about the process for supplementing with donor milk from the milk banks and learn how we can donate to the milk banks as well. Pauline Sakamoto, the president of Human Milk Bank Association of North America, also the executive director of Mother's Milk Bank, and she's on the executive board of the U.S. Breastfeeding Committee in Washington, D.C., is our expert today. Thank you for joining us, Pauline, and welcome to the show. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Pauline, what exactly is a milk bank and what does it do? Well, the San Jose Mother's Milk Bank, um, there is a nonprofit 501c3 organization. It's a service organization, very similar to blood banking, but what we deal with is breast milk and human milk. The mission of the organization basically is to make sure that all babies have accessibility, actually, to human milk. If mom is unable to provide the milk, we collect enough human milk by volunteer moms. We process the milk, and we do testing on the mothers, actually, as well, and um, and then distribute the milk from our office, um, and we distribute to roughly about 110 hospitals, mostly intensive care nurseries in, in 13 states, but we also um, provide human milk for the baby that's in the home. Um, that has a prescription for whatever medical reason that they need it or if there's a reason that the mom supply is low, we try to prepare enough milk so we could make sure that all babies get some milk. Okay. Um, How safe is it to receive another mom's milk through the milk bank? Well, you know, the Mother's Milk Bank in San Jose, we're licensed as a tissue bank in California and Maryland, um, which tells you that we're shipping milk actually to Maryland. Um, So we follow the same guidelines as all the other tissue banks in California, mostly things like, um, you know, bone bank, eye banks, um, skin banks. Uh, their eye banks. I mean, we follow the same regulatory pattern as the other milk banks. The Mother's Milk Bank in San Jose, a lot of our screening questions and a lot of the ways that we screen a donor are very, very much alike and in alignment with the blood banking industry. That being said, um, we test the mother's blood for viruses. And we also test the milk for bacteria levels. But an additional thing we do to the milk is that we pasteurize the milk, which is a short heat treatment process. Um, And there again, it it basically tries to keep the milk as much intact as possible, where at the same time, we're killing the levels of bacteria in the milk that may be pathogenic to the infant who drinks it. And the bacteria that's normally in um, a mom's breast milk, Mm -hmm. generally speaking, what about the antibodies that are supposed to kill off that? Is that, are you, are you taking away that when you're processing? Yeah, you know, the heat treatment process, 
there is a lot of live cells in the milk that unfortunately um, we may lose. And, you know, for the immune properties, for example, IgA, we may lose 20% of the IgA in the milk with the heat treatment process. And the IgG, we may lose um, 60% in IgM. We may lose it at all, at all of it because it's, you know, probably it's heat intolerant. But in effect, those values, even though they may be a bit compromised after the pasteurization, we do have a lot of kids, and the, and the research shows that the immune properties in the milk, for most intents and purposes, are still intact enough to protect the infant from uh, nosocomial infections or infections found in hospitals or infections in the home that it's still, even through all the freezing and heating and freezing again, it still maintains a good quality of immune properties. And, of course, human milk composition is more is more than immunity. I mean, you've got the oleosaccharides that are not affected by heat treatment. That, you know, is the what one would consider... Um, the scrubbing brush, if you will, uh, for the intestinal tract of the infant. It collects, um, you know, bacteria and foreign matter out of the um, baby's intestinal tract. And that's what poop is, basically. It's all the foreign matter that they found that the, these oleosaccharides find in the intestinal tract. So we do get, believe it or not, prescriptions for children that are immune properties are deficient. And they do quite well on donor milk in um, increasing their immune properties. Um, so they can fight off the colds and the flus and whatnot. So in the processing of human milk, basically the nutritional value of the milk is all still intact. And as a matter of fact, some of the vitamins are potentiated because the heat treatment process will ameliorate the um, the items that... in in the milk that may cause a reverse reaction to the vitamins. So when we heat out that particular catalyst that potentiates those vitamins in the milk. So there's a lot of unique things going in human milk. It is very robust. And because we're feeding infants that are very compromised, typically the, the one and two pounders in the NICU, we want to make sure they're struggling with their own bacteria that they get from the hospital and, you know, and, and the people around that we don't want to add additional bacterial, pathogenic bacterial load to the infant. And that brings up a good point because, you know, people want to know the um, advantage or disadvantage of using mother-to-mother milk, donor milk, instead of formula. Well, I think in formula, you know, you, there is no immune properties that, uh, because it's very species-specific, right? So in formula, cow's milk formula and otherwise, you wouldn't get the immune properties that uh, that a child would get through mom's own milk or donor milk. And let me make it very clear that the milk bank in San Jose and all the non-profit milk banks in the U.S. and Canada, our mission is to support mommies to breastfeed. We want moms, successful moms, to breastfeed their own in the event that she can't breastfeed for whatever reason. And there are plenty of reasons why sometimes it doesn't happen. Um, 
then we feel that the donor milk is a bridge. Um, so, you know, it might be a situation where the mom is very stressed out trying to express milk for her baby in the NICU and it's just really struggling. It, we feel that um, it is prudent for the physician to offer donor milk to that infant while the mother is trying to get her milk supply up. Um, the same goes uh, in certain hospitals right now. There's a real movement, you know, for the older late preterm infant or the nursery full-term infant whose mom, because of medications um, during a C-section or just a really difficult time in birthing, that um, the mom be given some relief by giving the child donor milk while she continues to get her milk supply up. So, and then we also have clients that, um, for whatever reason, you know, that the mom can't provide the milk, that we will send the milk to the mother's home. Now, all of that, when it goes to the home, it's almost like a drug in California. We do require a physician's prescription. Um, and the same quality and the same. Um, way that processing that we clean the milk for the NICU babies, we also do that for the older child in the mature milk. So is there a difference, like when you're receiving donor milk, the age age specific as far as receiving, do they try to match it with the age of the baby or does it not matter? We try to, actually. It's a very good question. Um, we're always looking for, what you can imagine, we're always looking for preterm mommy's milk and it's surprising to me it's always incredibly surprising to me that there are moms who have preterm babies in the NICU and are quite successful in pumping and expressing milk that they have excess um, that their children you know their babies can't use so they are they they're wonderful they volunteer their excess milk um, to us and it's just a joy to receive it and then be able to provide it to somebody else's baby who's in the same predicament but cannot get milk. And they, I have to say, they do really well. Um, I don't know of any um, neonatologist who will not say that they, they do very well with donor milk. Um, there is research that shows that it's, much more easily digested. Um, the babies do better, um, less infection. Um, there's a study that just came out that the hospitals and NICUs that use donor milk actually have lower rates of necrotizing enterocolitis in California. Um, and neck, as it's commonly known, you know, it's a horrific situation for a preterm infant to have because it requires a lot of surgery and it becomes quite expensive just to get them to the point where they're discharged. Can you explain that a little bit more for those parents out there that don't understand what that is? Necrotizing enterocolitis, it is a situation when the baby's internal... Um, Intestinal tract is immature, and so when you put a foreign body or foreign formula through the intestinal tract, there are holes 
in the lumen. And so it creates a situation where the baby can't get rid of the foreign body. And ultimately, if they're, if they're, if this is the case, because of the prematurity, the child's intestinal tract then becomes a system where gangrene starts in the intestinal tract. It's a horrific situation. When we come back, we'll find out how hospitals provide donor milk from the milk banks for the moms and babies, and we'll also learn more about how you can donate your own milk. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. We are here with Pauline from the Human Milk Bank Association of North America. Pauline, do milk banks contract with hospitals to provide the breast milk for their patients? Sure, we absolutely do. Um, Like I was saying earlier, we service about 104 to 110 hospitals in 14 states. It is very easy for hospitals to get donor milk. It's like writing a prescription or putting a work order in, and we, we literally ship it overnight express to the hospital. They get it the next morning. For families who are in the home, let's say if it's a family that's going home from the NICU experience and the baby is just not um, transferring to another food source or the mom's still working on her milk supply, we can provide donor milk to the home as well. And that's shipped overnight express um, to the mom's home. And it's all, you know, shipped frozen in uh, glass bottles. And and is this a prescription covered? It's covered under their insurance. Is that what you were saying before? Yeah, the insurance, you know, in the ACA, the new policies for lactation services, um, that donor milk actually is included in, in the policy. Where we are right now, and I do need everybody's help, where we are right now is that the policy is there, the implementation is slow in coming. So when we get a family, it's literally we take one staff person working with the insurance company for just that family to get the coverage right now. As you can imagine, if you have 200 families who are needing donor milk, it's a lot of work working through the insurance companies to get it covered. I need the public's help in making sure that insurance companies understand that there is a demand for this, that there's a great need for this. And, you know, especially for the kids that are, the babies that are in the home, you know, it's a short-term therapy typically. They are being followed by a physician and they need a prescription. And, you know, hopefully the insurance companies will cover the milk, we will certainly go to bat with the insurance company. If they are Medi-Cal, Medi-Cal surprisingly, from, since 1986, has been brave, but also very smart in paying for donor milk in an outpatient setting. It's not well known, um, but if the infant has some kind of physical condition, that is such as failing to thrive and unable to use any other food source, Medi-Cal will cover donor milk. So that's something that a lot of people don't know about, but it is true. When we go to, again, our office will go, go to work with the insurance company to make sure it gets covered. That's wonderful. So if a parent is in the situation and maybe they haven't heard 
from their provider that mm-hmm. milk banks can um, send them milk. Mm-hmm. Would you guys be their spokesperson as far as helping them get um, the reimbursement, or is it something that they actually have to do on their own? Usually for insurance companies, the physician is, is the spokesperson or the person who will ask for authorization for the donor milk. We will help, our office will help the physician to get that through the insurance company. We can't be, as a provider, we can't be the first ones to ask. It has to be the physician that is, that is uh, functioning under the insurance plan. So um, for us, it's it's always great when the physicians call us and say, what about this donor milk? Tell me about it, right? And how long can you give this child donor milk? And, and how can we keep in contact with each other so that we know that the baby is growing and the donor milk is working, which in fact, rarely does it not work. I mean, I've had... Um, you know, I've been doing this for 29 years. I was a donor. Um, 20, my daughter's 29. So I've been doing this milk banking for 29 years and um, started out as a donor. But it is inevitable. Almost, you know, once a week we get a mom who gets donor milk for the first time, whose baby is about two to three months, who is crying on the phone saying, oh, my God, Pauline, my baby slept for two hours. This is a child that has not slept. She's been in terrible pain. And we started donor milk, and within 24 hours, it's just a switch in personality in this child. So a lot of people don't understand that this, these families really are traumatized um, by, you know, a child that's just not tolerating anything. And when they start using mom's milk and donor milk, these babies turn over really quickly to being able to sleep for a couple hours and and a little bit more ha- happier, actually, um, and growing well. So we're really, um, I, I don't think um, people really understand that situation or know about it, but there are many, many kids who are struggling. Are the hospitals limited to the amount of milk they can provide to the family before they leave, or can they be sent home with milk, or how does that work? The hospitals, each of the hospitals um, with their legal staff develop their own policy on who gets milk and who doesn't. So, and the milk bank isn't involved in that. Um, We can give them some examples of policy, but it really is the hospital themselves who decide. And the decision typically is made by if they're baby friendly or not, um, how much is the how much is the cost of the milk to the hospital, um, and also a coverage. Pauline, what process would a mom need to go through in order to uh, donate? Is it there? Can you just break it down to a real simple? I mean, should she go to the website sure. or what? What can she do? Right, she can go to our website www.mothersmilk.org. Or they can call our toll-free number, and it's um, 1-877-375-6645. That's also on our website. And it's really fast and easy. And, and a lot of times I hear nurses say, oh, it's too hard. They tell people it's too hard, but it really isn't. It's a brief medical screening over the phone. Then once it looks like that the mom would be a great donor and she's collecting milk, We'll send her a questionnaire about her medical history and how the baby is doing. 
We contact their pediatrician and OB because we want to make sure that their doctors know they're donating milk. And if we need to, there's a small blood test that may need to be done. And the mom takes our lab slip, goes to a Quest lab or one of the blood banks that are affiliated with us, get the test done locally. And then we start shipping coolers and milk bags to her home. And she just fills that up with her frozen milk and calls FedEx. They come that day, pick it up, we get it the next morning. And from that time forward, for the next six months, whenever she calls us, there'll be a cooler at her door, pick up, and more bags, and she can ship it off. It's very easy. Excellent, excellent. Well, thank you so much, Pauline, for sharing this invaluable information about donating and receiving milk from the milk banks. Boob Group Club members, our conversation will continue after the end of this show, as Pauline will talk about a memorable moment when she helped make a difference in someone else's life and why she is so passionate about milk banking. For more information about our Boob Group Club, please visit our website at newmamamedia.com. So here's a question from one of our listeners. Megan wrote, is there an episode I can listen to about starting your period while nursing? I'm really paranoid about losing my supply and looking for tips to prepare myself. Well, Megan, we actually don't have an episode, but here is our expert, Rose Davinia Jackowitz, who is going to answer your question for you. Hi, Megan. This is Rose Davinia Jackowitz, board-certified lactation consultant at the outpatient clinic in San Diego at Kaiser Permanente. You had some concerns about starting your period again um, and losing your milk supply. Typically, if you're nursing and not having any problem when your period does return, the only thing you really need to worry about is getting pregnant again because it means that you are most likely um, fertile now. However, your milk doesn't go bad uh, when you start your period. There have been some moms that have felt that the baby... Uh, noticed a slight change in flavor, and it's probably a hormonal shift. But after a day or two, that that uh, resolves. So during your period, you may have a baby that doesn't nurse as much or as often. Um, some moms have noticed because of the hormonal shift that they know they feel like there's a little bit of a decrease for a day or two. But once your period has started and your hormones shift back, uh, there shouldn't be a problem. But many, many, many women nurse for a long period of time, uh, even though they've started having their period, so it should not cause your milk to dry up if you continue to nurse. So hopefully that's helpful. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. That wraps up our show for today. We appreciate you listening to The Boob Group. Don't forget to check out our sister show, Preggy Pals, for expecting parents, our show parent savers for moms and dads with infants and toddlers and twin talks. Thanks for listening to The Boob Group, your judgment-free breastfeeding resource. This has been a new Mommy Media production. The information and material contained in this episode are presented for educational purposes only. Statements and opinions expressed in this episode are not necessarily those of new Mommy Media and should not be considered facts. While such information and materials are believed to be accurate, it is not intended to replace or substitute for professional medical advice or care and should not be used for diagnosing or treating health care problem or disease or prescribing any medication. If you have questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your baby, please seek assistance from a qualified health care provider. New Mommy Media is expanding our lineup of shows for new and expecting parents. 
If you have an idea for a new series, or if you're a business or organization interested in joining our network of shows through a co-branded podcast, visit newmommymedia.com. Hey, mamas. Don't forget to check out Mighty Moms. It's our online community built for new moms just like you. Not only can you connect with other moms, but you can also join us backstage for special mom-only online events. And you'll also be notified when we're recording so you can join us as a special guest. Visit our website, newmommymedia.com, and click on the Mighty Moms banner. It's free. That's newmommymedia.com. See you there.